Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we hear from Bernie Novak, one of the many inductees into the Football Manitoba Hall of Fame for the class of 2020, finally getting honored two years later. His conversation with Kelly Moore is coming up. Also, I talked to Derek Taylor, voice of the Bombers, our weekly visit on the show. We'll talk about this weekend's CFL action, the Bombers going into Toronto, and plenty more on the podcast. Manitoba Football Hall of Fame Class of 2020. Yes, 2020 was finally honored during a news conference earlier today. The eighth induction dinner and banquet scheduled for next month, July 13th at the IG Field Pinnacle Club. 15 individuals and four teams will be honored that night. And just a short time ago, our Kelly Moore spoke with one of the inductees. That's former player and longtime official, Bernie Novak. Tell me about the past two and a half years from the time where you found out you were going into the Football Manitoba Hall of Fame and, and to today where I guess it you know it, 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 it there was a little bit more finality that way? Yes. Uh, well, when I first heard about it, I was in Arizona. So when they called for a, said the press conference was going to be in late middle of March, I booked a ticket to fly to Winnipeg and, and back. But and that press conference was on a Thursday, and I phoned Rick Hankovich on Monday, and I said, is the press conference still on? And he says, no. So I had to cancel my ticket <laughs> and wait for two and a half years before I could finally get to it. So, Bernie, was this right about the time that the world was stopping for the pandemic? Yes. Was that's exactly when it was. Uh, Rick Hankowich, by the way, for the benefit of our listeners, is the uh, president of uh, the uh, uh, Football Manitoba uh, Hall of Fame. So, Bernie, I mean, it's been your life's work. It uh, uh, When you read your, your bio, uh, you have been involved in the sport of football here in Manitoba in a number of different capacities, including as a player, for more than 60 years. Uh, so I guess let, let's start with the late 1950s when you were uh, a hotshot with the Tech Vaux Hornets. Yeah, so I played center, and we won, first year I was there, we won the city championship. And then we were challenged by Swan River for the provincials. Now, I had just moved in from Swan River, so I was excited to take up the challenge to beat Swan River. <laughs> and we soundly defeated them. And I played against some of my friends at that time. We had to play the game about after about six inches of snow had fallen the night before. And the game was played at St. John's Ravenscourt because the stadium wouldn't let us play there. Two years later, I played for the St. James Rods, and in 1961, that team won the uh, Canadian Championship. So I was blessed to be on championship teams throughout my football career. Do you remember who you played in that Canadian Junior Championship in 61, Bernie? <laughs> I believe it was Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that a few, was so long ago. I don't remember. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's a few years ago. But uh, now here's something you might have a better recollection of. After you uh, guys uh, stomped all over Swan River, were you ever ever allowed to go back there again? Well, I go back every couple of years. I see some of my friends that I played against, and uh, they uh, 
they have fond memories of the game, <laughs> but not as I do. Bertie Novak, who is among the class of 2020 for Football Manitoba's Hall of Fame, is joining us. Uh, Bernie just finished talking about his playing career with the Tech Hornets and the uh, St. James Rods. So from playing, Bernie, did you go directly into officiating, or was there some coaching uh, mixed in between? No, I went directly into officiating. I wanted to stay in the game, and I knew I would never make it beyond junior, so I, I saw an ad in the paper looking for football officials, and I phoned Al Dryborough, whose name was there, and he signed me up, and the rest is history. Boy, and talk about history. What was it, about 60 years or so that you officiated uh, games, whether it was uh, in, in amateur football or high school football? Yes. Okay, now I'm I'm not on the field anymore, but I'm I'm sticking with timekeeping. That way, I don't have to do much running or to get run over by football players. <laughs> Is there any way at all, Bernie, you would know how many games that you have officiated or kept time for? Well, it'd be over 2,500. Now, out of those 2,500 games. Uh, and, and I'm sure you've been asked this many, many times before. Uh, are there one or two games in particular uh, that really stand out as personal highlights, whether they were, you know, a championship game that you got to officiate or uh, there were a different set of circumstances that were involved in there? Uh, is there is there anything that really stands out in your officiating career? Well, when I did the Canadian Junior Championship in Calgary in 1980. It was 1989. Uh, I remember that game. Back in Winnipeg, it was well below zero, and we get to Calgary, and it's like uh, plus 15. And we had two great teams playing, and for me, that was the highlight of my career. And then, but. The first game that I did in interprovincial was the Bantam with Saskatchewan Regina and uh, the Winnipeg Nomads back in about 1970. Now as a referee in that, that was the first big championship game that I worked as a referee. Right. Now you you're going into the Football Manitoba Hall of Fame for your work as an official in that sport, uh, but you were also a referee in basketball, and I understand an umpire in slow pitch. So here's the question I want to ask you, Bernie Novak: Who were the best athletes to deal with, the football players, the basketball players, or the slow pitch players? Uh, well, the slow pitch players. They are past their prime, and they're there to have fun. It's sort of uh, a fun league. Yeah. And there's, uh, so it, it's more fun for me, too. Actually, I got two games tonight to refer to umpire. <laughs> yeah. I did four games yesterday. <laughs> Holy curls. And how old are you, Bernie? I'm 81. Oh, man, 81 years young. Holy crows. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. That's just the number. 81 is the number. So. Exactly. Yeah. So just before we let you go here then and get your evening's work done, um, you've also uh, worked on the sidelines for Canadian Football League games for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers too, haven't you? Yeah, for 56 years. What were you doing for those games, Bernie? I started off on the yard sticks, and then uh, for 25 years at the last 25 years at the old stadium, 
I was a communication coordinator, which meant I ran onto the field waving the red flag for commercial timeouts. Bernie, just before we let you go, uh, you were able to pick out the highlight of the 2,500 games or so that you've officiated. Uh, all those years uh, working on the sidelines of Blue Bomber games, uh, who is the best ever Winnipeg Blue Bomber in your opinion? Well, I, one of them would be Kenny Plain, and then there was Willard Reeves. Well, Chris Walby was a big player. Actually, I invited Miles Gerald to talk to our students at, at R.B. Russell School, and he was willing to come out and chat with the students and, and uh, give them a, gave a couple of free tickets to the, a couple of the students. If there's a guy that has the gift of the gab, it's certainly Miles. What a great, great uh, ambassador for the sport of football he is. So, Bernie, that must be pretty cool then, being in the same induction class as Chris Walby. And Wade Miller. <laughs> yes. You didn't mention Wade's name as one of the greatest Blue Bombers, though, but uh, I would imagine you feel pretty proud being part of this group uh, that will be honored uh, next month at IG Field. Yes, I certainly do. Now, are you going to speak straight from the heart when you give your acceptance speech, Bernie, or are you going to have 20 pages of notes ready to, to go? No, I don't think I'll be asked to speak. Actually, I was asked to speak this afternoon, it was off the cuff. I mean, I was un- totally unprepared, but I think it's better to go unprepared. That way, your speech is much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. People will enjoy, will enjoy that. Well, I'll tell you what, Bernie. If anybody's earned the right uh, to uh, go over the time limit a little bit, it is certainly you for the dedication uh, that you have given to the sport of football. Thanks a bunch for this, and congratulations on this wonderful honor. Well, thank you very much. Derek, so far in this game, Nathan Rourke, 9 of 14 for 117. Jeremiah was only 3 of 10 for 21 yards. How do you feel about your Ottawa will win the East pick at this very moment at 7.33 p.m. on June 30th? Just just do that for me one more time. What's Masoli's line right now against the BC Lions? It is 3 for 10 for 21 yards. Didn't he throw for like 700 against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers he in did. two games? Yes, yes. Uh, BC has a, has a great de- like BC's defensive talent is is sick, but this doesn't make any sense at all, at all. I Masoli, but I mean, this is Masoli, right? Masoli has these games where uh, either the whole game could be a disaster, the whole game could be world beater. You could have a little spell in there. I haven't seen any of his, any ridiculous plays from him, but just off target and, and BC looks pretty good. Um, yeah, two and outs, they're going to kill you because BC's able to move the ball. And they're getting the lucky bounces, right? Uh, what was it? Rourke bangs one off a defensive lineman's helmet. It pops up in the air, and somehow one of his receivers comes down with it. Like, lucky and good is a dangerous combination. And not to mention he takes a... You know, a third and one sneak yeah. around the corner for a 50-yard touchdown run. Well, and, and, and that's one. We were talking to Coach O'Shea uh, uh, before the game, the second game against Ottawa, when he's, when we were talking about, well, who's going to do the sneaks with uh, – who's going to do sneaks with uh, Dakota Prukop injured? And he said, oh, anybody can do it. It's just plowing ahead. And, and it's plays like that to make you go, well, it's not always just plowing ahead, right? Like he's going down the line looking for – looking for a place to, to turn it up. One of his linemen gets blown into the backfield on a nice rush by a defensive tackle, but then he pops outside. There's no contain, and 
all of a sudden he's gone, looking like a young Andrew Buckley. Like, yeah, that was that was a fantastic play, and and that's that's the base of baseline of Nathan Rourke. Like, if his arm fell off, that guy that cap can still run. So BC's in a real good spot with him right now. And we're gonna see it firsthand when the Bombers take on the Lions in not too uh, long from now, next weekend. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you saw this earlier, with Trey Ford listed as the starting quarterback for the Elks tomorrow night in Hamilton, the last time two Canadian quarterbacks started in the same week occurred September 11th and 12th, 1982. Oh, my gosh. Jerry yeah, this is... Dettilio for Calgary against Winnipeg and Luke Toussignan for Montreal against Saskatchewan. Well, and the Trey Ford one is so interesting because – what do you what do you believe about uh, about the Elks depth chart? Right, last week it was uh, Charles Nelson, former bomber, who was starting at safety, and he's out there apparently for the first few plays, but then didn't play much after that. They take Nelson now; they list him as their starting running back, of all things. And you go, what what of this depth chart is Chris Jones playing reindeer games, and and what of it is actually going to happen? So honestly, I'd love to see a full game of Trey Ford. Right, that preseason game where he got some reps against the Bombers here in Winnipeg, man, that, that guy has some wheels, right? And he is, he's fast even at the CFL level. So it could be pretty exciting. I, I don't know about throwing a, a U sports quarterback to the wolves like that, but I mean, they must know, they must know something about Trey Ford and, and they need a boost, but that's uh, that one. That one was a surprise. Let's say uh, for, for me. Almost seems like they're treating 2022 and it's only week four treating it as like a whole season long experimentation for Chris Jones going into next year, which, yeah, I kind of get it. And, you know, you'll hear, hear pray while well, he's trying to find guy spots and he's looking for anything. Like, I, I, how much, how much is that? And how much is this kind of nonsense? I, I always just wonder, I mean, I esteem for him as a coach, but I, as a personnel guy, I don't know that I get it. Um, uh, Caleb Hawley released, brought back Matt Elam. Oh, I'm bringing back Matt Elam because he was on my team before. Well, they just released him. Hey, it's a Darius Bowman. That never went anywhere. Uh, Manny Arsenault had a, had a nice game in week number three. Statistically, that was that's a guy who's a little closer to, uh, you know, recent CFL play. He's He's got his guys and he's got his ways. I don't know if they always make sense. But uh, for a guy like Trey Ford, who needs a chance to be a quarterback in the CFL, we need guys who come from U sports to get a chance to actually be a quarterback. I guess he's, at least he's getting that shot to actually be a quarterback in an actual CFL game on an actual CFL field against Hamilton is not hundred percent healthy. So, Hey, why not try this as a spot? Let's talk about the blue bombers. They returned to the practice field today ahead of their Monday game uh, against the Argonauts. Uh, an interesting schedule for the Blue Bombers. They get kind of a mini-buy before getting a shorter week next week here. The big news today is that Nick Dembski's on the six-game injured list. What kind of blow do you think this is to the Bombers' offense going forward here? Oh, uh, honestly, Mike O'Shea was downplaying. I think it's substantial because I've been trying to think of other players that show they can do the stuff that Nick Dembski does and, and the range of stuff, right? Like Dembski catches from the slot. That's, that's at his base, his job. But he also runs from the slot, and they can set him in the backfield and run him from the from the backfield as well as in a one running back set. Like Dembski does so many things, and then there's all the little points around each of those jobs. But there are very few guys that are even tasked to do that. Uh, Tim White and Hamilton is the other current example. Braylon Addison, to a lesser extent, when he uh, when when he's uh, uninjured, 
There just aren't many guys that do the range of things that Dembski does. Oh, you need short area targets? Well, here's Dembski. You need them to run a corner route to the wide side? Oh, here's Dembski. Uh, you need to get 100 yards almost before he got injured in that game? Well, here's Nick Dembski. I think it's a real loss, and it's they don't really have a like-for-like like replacement, right? There's not like Nick Dembski Jr. waiting on the roster. So Brandon O'Leary Orange comes in, bigger body, different skill set. So some of the stuff, if you want that misdirection, you want those jet sweeps, well, now that becomes Dalton Schoen's game or Rasheed Bailey's game, though a little tougher with him at wide receiver. Or is it Greg Ellingson on the end around or the little pop pass in the backfield? I, those plays will probably still stay in there, but it's curious to see who who gets them, who gets what Dembski had been getting. I think we did see a, a Bailey carry there last week in the game, but yep. he is a unique player in terms of the skill set that he has for this football club. And we're going to, I guess we're going to learn a little bit too about the flexibility of Buck Pierce's offense, because last year the Blue Bombers were just so healthy for almost the entire season. I know Andrew Harris missed half the season, but otherwise they were, I mean, they were almost impeccable health, right? I went, you know, games without having to do an injury update from the sideline for Bob, because it's (laughs) like, yep, no one's getting hurt here. And and this year it's obviously been a lot different. I've been busy down there the first couple of games of the season. So, you know, that injury, it can be luck for for some degree here. We don't know how long he's going to be out for, but it, as we often hear, next man up, it's an opportunity for the likes of O'Leary Orange and the guys that are already in there, like Schoen, like Bailey, like Wolitarski as well, who hasn't yeah. been super involved in the offense this year. And, and perhaps we're going to see a lot of Greg Ellingson because we've already seen a lot of Greg Ellingson this year. Yeah, I think you have an, an important point there that injuries and the lack of injuries – it, it does come down to luck in the end, right? Like, why do the why do the Bombers miss only Andrew Harrison? I think Kyrie Wilson was injured for a spell, along with some other ones, while another team puts 17 guys on the six-game injured list, including some incredibly important players, right? They're not – I don't think they're fundamentally different. Everybody's got good athletic therapists, but why why this and why not that? So the Bombers have to have to know that some of that was coming. Uh, I just want to drop one name on you. If, if Dembski does sit on all six games – I'm curious if we might see Greg McRae hit the roster at some point. He's a guy who came in. He's an American running back, uh, but running back kind of doesn't define everything. He They listed him as a running back, but he was doing some returns in camp, and they actually ran him at a receiver uh, at Dembski's position at one of the, one of the non-first-team groups. So I, I'll be curious to see if there is maybe – I don't know how you would get him on the roster because you'd have to sacrifice – uh, I would presume a guy like Janarian Grant or something like that. But I'll be interested to see if if Greg McRae hits the roster and, and shines in the next few weeks. Uh, let's all just remember that Derek and Christian started that. <laughs> yes, you heard it here first, folks, on, on June 30th here heading into week number four. I know Mike O'Shea downplayed it today, the whole schedule thing. They don't, you know, they're not worried about next week yet. They're worried about this week and they're not worried about a short week after, but do you think it's good or bad for the Bombers that they had this kind of mini buy after last week's game and didn't have to practice till today? Because again, the game's on Monday, not a stat holiday in Canada. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I will always take more rest than less rest. Honestly, if if I'm looking at how how a team's going to perform, I'll always take more than than less, and especially uh, the the difference between what you'll uh, the difference between gosh what they'll have and what their opponents will have. Toronto played. Uh, was it a day later that Toronto played this past week? Right, they got walloped by BC on the final day. So 
you get an extra day's rest. You just get extra time for guys. You're not like it wasn't enough to cure Dembski, right? But bumps and bruises, I, I will always take more or less than than less rest. And and they are as much as he said we're not focused on the next game. They're already planning right for BC because they've said, hey, uh, we're not going to practice. Boom, boom on these days, and we're just going to go at it. So they, they, I get what he's saying, but they they are obviously f- figuring out how their life will work because Monday Saturday is a is a rough rough turnaround, honestly. Andrew Harris is going to be uh, one of the storylines going into Monday's game. He, this season, has 25 carries, 114 yards. 4.6 yards per carry would be the lowest full-season average of his entire career. It's obviously a two-game sample size, so tough to put a ton of stock into that. But nonetheless, their Argos got just pasted last weekend by (laughs) the Lions, so all the stats sucked for them after that. How much of a storyline do you view it as even though we heard earlier in the show Adam Big Hill and Mike O'Shea say, hey, it's the Argonauts we're playing. It's not Andrew Harris. It's the Argonauts. Well, I've mentioned this, and Doug and I talked about this, and you, you're on the sidelines for the game, and you're looking right at the ring of honor, right? And you see those names, and you think, well, Milt Stiegel, his entire career in the CFL was a Winnipeg Blue Bomber. And Doug Brown, what he started briefly in Calgary, but he, his essentially his entire career was in Winnipeg. And you go, there can't have been many games where a guy who is or will be in the ring of honor came back to, or, you know, played against the Winnipeg blue bombers, but that's Andrew Harris, right? Like that guy, and that guy's absolutely going to the ring of honor for what he did over five seasons in, in Winnipeg. So it's, it's a big deal. They, you know, they'll say, uh, and, and I totally get it. Like when, when they start snapping the football, who cares who I'm tackling if we're friends or if we're not friends or if we're the best of friends, who cares? I'm trying to win a football game here, but there'll be, you got to imagine in advance of the game and after the game, there's going to be special hugs or daps because every, every guy who's been on the team in 19 and 21 knows exactly what Andrew Harris meant. A guy like Jamarcus Hardrick, who uh, was here, came here in 16, the same year Andrew Harris did. Tell me he and he doesn't have any special feelings for Andrew Harris. So yeah, w- when the game's on, uh, you just, you play football because you're a football player, but it's it, it would be very tough to not recognize how important that guy was in, you know, helping the rest of the, the Bombers players achieve their lifelong goal of winning Grey Cup, a Grey Cup, and in this case, multiple Grey Cups. And he's always been a guy who makes quite obvious the chips that are on his shoulder. And <laughs> I think going into this game, right, we, we read the reporting after the the breakup, if you want to call it that, the business decision to move on from Andrew Harris. I'm sure he's got some some things he wants to get off his chest by carrying the ball down the Bombers' throats on Monday. Yeah, oh, a- absolutely. And and you mentioned uh, his yards per carry this season, which made me just want to pull this up because Andrew Harris makes a terrific point that I like making about football. Uh, his last year in BC, 4.7 yards per carry. He joins Winnipeg, 5 yards, 5.5 yards, 5.8 yards, 6.1 yards per carry. Uh, he went from a team that, that couldn't run the ball to a team that eventually, you know, figured out, hey, our offensive line can absolutely crush yours and we're going to do it. And here you go. So it, it's he, he's going to be Toronto's offensive line is not as good as Winnipeg's and they, they're dealing with some injuries right to uh, Peter Nicastro and stuff like that. So it's it's my my prediction is it's going to be real tough sledding for Andrew Harris due to no fault of his own. He may still get you know, more than 20 touches like he did in this first game in Toronto before the hamstring bit him. But 
they're going to try because he's the highest paid running back in the league. Like that, that guy's a real weapon. And that guy's, he, I mean, talking to Brady Oliveira today about protection and, you know, is he this, he's the smartest football player I ever played with Brady Brady said, or at least the smartest running back. I don't want to get the words uh, out of Brady's mouth wrong, but like Andrew Harris was, is a star in this league, but at the running back position, you need bodies moving bodies out of the way, or you're just not going to get much. And like you said, 4.6 this season, that may be the absolute maximum that was available for any running back ever. That's that's just you you kind of go as your offense and your offensive scheme goes. Bombers would love 4.6 though right now from their running backs, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, as as your, as your scheme goes and as you go, right? Yeah, they're they're getting caught in the unfortunate number of second and longs and not near enough second and shorts uh, when they go in the run game. And and it, when you talk to O'Shea. Uh, he said on the coach's show with Kelly Moore on Monday, like they, they want to run the football and it's not, it hasn't been great for them. First and 10 runs. I think uh, I'd have to go back and check, but going into the game, it was three or five, three or four, five times out of 25 that they'd been in second and short or better. And he go, Oh, I would, I would love to see that be more. So they'll, they'll have to unlock something and, and, you know, we'll have to debate why we think it is that it's that it's struggling through three games. I'll look forward to your call on Monday, Derek. Thanks for this. Have a great long weekend, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, brother. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain your name.